Good morning. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. It's the last time you're going to see that bumper, you guys. This is the last sermon in the Matthew series. We're at the end, the final verses of the Gospel of Matthew. We have been in this book for 58 weeks over the last year and a half. Now, I know some of you were like, I want 80 weeks. Uh, No. (laughs) No, most of you guys are tired. The reason why uh, we teach through uh, books of the Bible is the Bible has a ton of depth. Uh, When you search the scriptures, uh, you can read a lot and you will miss a lot. And you can sit in a passage and go deeper and deeper and the well goes deeper and deeper. And and, and we like to sit in passages of the Bible, slowly work through books. Uh, We think it is good for our souls to patiently journey through a gospel like this. So thank you for being patient. Thank you for riding the journey with us. We will be starting the book of Proverbs next week. Over the next few months, we'll be walking through uh, the Proverbs. Uh, But today is the final sermon uh, for the Gospel of Matthew. These are the final words of Jesus to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. These final words have importance. What he's about to say is heightened because it is the last few words that he's going to say. If someone is on their deathbed, some of the things they have to say towards the end, it heightens the importance. It elevates the importance of what they're going to say. When the coach goes into halftime on the title game and he has his team, the speech that he gives, the final words before they go out to play one last time together, it matters. It heightens how important the message of what he's about to say. And the church has called this, these final few words, the Great Commission. For hundreds of years, we refer to this as the Great Commission. What I want us to see this morning uh, is two things. I want us to see uh, why. By looking at the authority that is in Christ as he's commissioning out the church. And then I want us to sit in the details of the Great Commission and, and be molded and shaped by this. So let me pray for us. And then we will jump into this final passage in Matthew. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to open it and read it. That we get to to sing songs about it. That we get to read scripture. And that we get to, to sit under the authority of your word and be molded and shaped into your image. Because your word is powerful. It is like a sword that pierces the heart. It is like a hammer that breaks the rocks to pieces. God, I pray that right now that you would instruct us, you would teach us, that you would train us, and you would send us out as a church that is obedient to your great commission. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me read through it, and we'll walk through it. Verse 16, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now here comes the commissioning. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, so, like I said, we're going to look at this in two parts. Really, the setup to the Great Commission itself, and then we're going to walk through the Great Commission uh, piece by piece. All right, so, those first two verses. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. All right, so let's give some context for where we are. Just a few days before this, the disciples abandoned Jesus. 
When he was arrested, they fled. And Peter, who stuck around, well, he denied Jesus three times. So their head's spinning a little bit. Then all of a sudden, on Sunday morning, Mary bursts into the room and says, He's risen. He's alive. And we got to go to Galilee. He's going to meet us there. Now, from Jerusalem to Galilee is a few days' journey. All right? And on that walk back to Galilee, I can assume that a lot of doubts are starting to creep in. There's some shame and some guilt because they abandoned Jesus. What is he going to say to them? Right? Maybe some doubts on, is he really risen? Is he really alive? Their faith is being questioned. Their doubts are arising. And they finally get to Galilee. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus answers their doubt by displaying his power. His fully resurrected, glorified body. And, and, and he tells them all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So I want us to look at this from two different ways. The first part that I want us to see what is bound up in this statement is that this is the ultimate flex of his power on Satan. This shows dominance over the powers of evil. Because of what happened at the cross and the empty tomb, he is flexing his power. If you go back to Matthew 4, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, there was a final temptation that he gave. And he said in verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. He understood what Jesus was doing in part. He, he understood his arrival meant. And he's trying to keep the mission from happening. He says, if you will just bow down and worship me now, I'll give you some of my power. You want some kingdoms here on earth? I'll give it to you. And Jesus says, no. He's obedient to the will of the Father because he wants to save sinners like you and me. But it's not just that. He didn't just come for the earth. Look what he says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the sovereign king and ruler over all existence. From the heavens, that is the ga this galaxy, in all galaxies, that is the invisible heaven where God rules and reigns from all the way down to earth and in the earth and everything on the earth and under the earth. Everything is under the authority of Jesus. He has won the war against sin and death. He has disarmed the rulers and authorities. I, I, I think even the, the, the geography is a flex on Satan. I mean, think about it. Satan takes him to a very high mountain to show him the kingdoms. And Jesus goes to a very high mountain and says, no, 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 I didn't just come for the earth, I came for everything. I'm the king over all of it. Now, the text doesn't say this, all right? And it, this may have never happened, but I like to imagine a little bit that Jesus is almost just kind of winking at Satan and the rulers of evil. I mean, I think he's just, he's just saying, oh, the same setting, all right? All of this is mine. This is important for you to know as a Christian because the reality is, is that as you are sent out, you will face forces of evil. As you are obedient to the will of God in your life, you will face evil. You will face demonic activity. We, we believe this. And the reality is, is you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be fearful. You get to remember who is in control over all things. It is Christ. 
And that power over all things is a comfort when we face evil. The second thing that's being demonstrated here is he's answering the doubt of the disciples. Jesus and his supremacy and his rule and his reign over all things is the authority for mission. It's the authority for how we are sent out, for how we obey his marching orders. I finally, last year, it was my bucket list to watch Band of Brothers. I've been wanting to watch it for a very long time, and I finally got to watch it. It's an HBO series that follows the Easy Company. It's, part of a, it's a famous company from a battalion, uh, paratroopers in, in World War II, and it follows them from when they're training and, and uh, getting ready for D-Day in France, and they drop over France all the way to the end of the war. I finally got to watch it. And just seeing them get ready for this jump in a D-Day, I mean, it, there had to have been a lot of nerves, a lot of nervousness. Because this was before the days of halo jumps. So halo jumps is how everyone jumps now in the military. It's a high-altitude, low-opening jump. It's when you jump out of a plane, you don't pull your chute until the very last second, and then you pull your chute. I mean, if you want to get shot out of the sky, if you want to be detected, that's how you do it. They didn't have that in World War II. So as they're flying into D-Day, into the darkness of the night, there are bullets flying, shooting planes down. They're having to jump out as bullets are flying by. And they jump out immediately and their chutes are opened. And they're slowly descending into the darkness as bullets are flying by. Some of them are getting shot out of the air. And then below, the German army is waiting for them. Some are being arrested, some are being shot on sight. And you look at that and the bravery it took. And it's like, why? What, what motivated them to, to be so courageous and to do this? And it's, it's because it was the calling. It was World War II. They had to defeat the German, had to defeat the Nazis, the axis of evil, all of it. They had to do this. It was the only way. And I think about this as Christians. How much more boldly do we get to go into the darkness? Because the reality is, is that the the paratroopers are jumping into enemy territory that is controlled by the German army. That's not us. That, that ain't us. We, wherever we are called to go, Jesus is sovereign over every aspect of where we go. He is the one who is in control. As bullets are flying, as opposition, as we're facing it, He is the one who is in control. There's a, uh, the, a 19th century Dutch prime minister He's the father of the Reformed Church in the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper. I love what he says. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. I love that. Every single place you could go to declare the gospel, whether it's the most hostile places to the gospel in the world or it's the most hostile work environment, that does not love Jesus, Jesus says, mine. He is sovereign over all of it. And that is so incredibly important for us to remember. It's incredibly important for us to remember that the end is written. Flip to the end of Revelation. Jesus wins. And we get to celebrate with him for all of eternity. Jesus and his authority. That is the God who sends us out. You have to remember that. The disciples needed to hear that because he's about to give this commission and it's going to say, go therefore. That therefore is linked to the authority of Christ, the God who's sovereign over all things. So that is the God who sends you. That is the setup of the Great Commission. Then he gets into the commissioning itself. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and the Holy, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, over the last decade plus, I've spent a lot of time on this passage. In college, I had uh, a thesis. My college thesis was on this passage. In, in seminary, I studied the Gospel of Matthew in, in Greek syntax. So I've spent a lot of time in this passage, and I want to make something very clear. There's one main verb, one main command, one main instruction in this passage, and it is make disciples. That's it. That's the main command. Make, it says go therefore, make disciples. You've got to see that. And then, there, there's some, some participles in the Greek. There's some, there's some further explaining. Think of it as the, the make disciples is the hub, and there's some spokes that come out of it. And you've got go, you've got baptizing, and you've got teaching. Those three aspects help explain the command to make disciples. And that's where we spend the majority of our time today, is walking through what it means to make disciples by looking at go, baptizing, teaching. So first, let's look at that first part. Go. Now, some of you may have heard that you could look at this and translate this as you go. That it means as you go, make disciples. And I just want to say, no, absolutely not. That was my college thesis. I got really excited about it. I just started studying Greek, and I was like, oh, look at this. It, might, it means as you go. And I got some, I got some claps. I got some, some pats on the back. This is a good job. And then it, I got to seminary, and it took five minutes for my Greek professor to absolutely just dismantle it. There's a reason why every translation says, go. It, 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 go. Is the, that's why the disciples went. So the force is, I know there's part of us that wants to water this down and say, well, it's just kind of as you're going in life, you can kind of make disciples. No. It is go, therefore make disciples. Now, you put this against some of the other commissionings in the New Testament. Look at the book of Acts. And there is the idea that some are called to go to Jerusalem, some are called to go to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's why we use the language. Go across the street and make disciples with your neighbors. Or go across the world. But I actually want to give a caveat to that statement. I want to say go into the workplace. Go across the street and make disciples. And be involved in going across the world. Do all of it. Be involved in all of it. John Piper has a quote. He says, go, send, or disobey. Real simple. If it's go, comma, I would actually mean that go, slash, send, or disobey. That's it. That's the calling. And that, that is why we want you to be everyday missionaries where you are, so that you'll go and make disciples. Then some of you are going to receive the call, and you need to go further. It is the reason why we got excited. We rallied around the Rockies this last fall. Chris and Daniel Rocky, we sent them to Honduras. They sold everything, and they left to make disciples in Honduras. It's the reason why a few years ago a team of us went to Egypt and we did some training and equipping with some churches and ministries in Egypt because we want to be a part of, of sending and, 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 and making disciples across the earth. We want to see every, the word is all nations, every ethnos, which is every people group, every tribe, every tongue is what's built into that. We want to do it all. It's the reason why there's three of our members that are going to Lebanon in just a few weeks. We partnered with 1040 Hope. We actually give 1040 Hope office space here to be able to, to, to work out of here as they are raising money for church plants all across the Middle East. And three of them are going to Lebanon in just a few weeks. So we want to be part of all of it. We want to go and make disciples in our, in our neighborhoods. We want to send. We want to do it all. And if we don't, we are being disobedient. 
We are not obeying the command to go. So we want, we want to embody this as a church, to do it all, go. All right, next one, baptizing. The next aspect is baptizing. Built into this is not just the literal act of baptizing, but it is conversion. That, that's what's being taught here. Now, as good Baptists, we believe converting them to faith in Jesus and then baptizing them, but the force of what's built in here is converting them. And I want to be very explicit about that. It is converting them. A couple of years ago, something clicked for me, and I, I found this so incredibly helpful for my soul. I was watching a movie that came out a few years ago. It was called, it's called 1970. It's a World War I movie, and it's incredible. It's, it's like, it became one of my favorite movies. It's just, it's awesome. And it, 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 it's, it's artistically done. It's shot all in one take. It's a good war movie. I loved it. I mean, it's just, if you haven't seen it, you're not bothered by war violence. It's incredible. And I got really excited about it. And I was like, man, this is obviously the best picture of the year. This is definitely going to win best picture. And, uh, and there was a lot of excitement because of how well it was done. And then all of a sudden, there were some major criticisms that came. And the main criticisms that came were people were saying, well, you know what? This movie actually isn't doing anything. It's not trying to say anything. It's just about, it's just a story. And guess what? It didn't win Best Picture that year. Because the main criticism that was against it was, is it wasn't actually, and they wouldn't use this word, it wasn't preaching. And that's why you see like every Oscar movie is just super sad or has some cause that it rides behind. They're, they're preaching. And, and it clicked for me. I listened to this late night comedian who, who was talking about culture wars. And he's like, politicians just gotta, they gotta stay out of the culture wars. He's like, because we're the ones that win them. He's like, let Hollywood take care of that. We are the ones who will win people over. And it finally just clicked for me. Everyone is preaching. Everyone has an angle. Everyone has a message. Go on Facebook. Everyone wants you to, to join their political movement, to buy their product. Everyone is preaching. And, and the reason that was so good for me to just finally, just to, for it to sink in fully in my soul, is because when I became a Christian, I was very wary of being the kind of Christian that, you know, a big critique from skeptics is, is oh, the Christians are always trying to convert you. They always, have, they're always trying, they always got an angle. They're always trying to convert you. And I was always sensitive to that. I was like, I don't want to seem like I'm, like I, like I'm just trying to convert you. I, I'm done with that. Yes, I am trying to convert you. Absolutely. Unapologetically, I am trying to convert you. Everyone's preaching, and I'm getting in on this. You know why? Because worldviews have consequences, eternal consequences. I'm absolutely, unapologetically, I want to convert you to the worship of the one true God. I want you to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you, I want you to know the triune God. John Piper also says that missions exist because worship doesn't. There are people that do not worship Christ. They don't know Him. They don't love Him. They don't know the perfection of beauty, the author of goodness and love and joy. They don't know the glory of Christ. They are dead in sin. Absolutely, I'm trying to convert you. I want you to know the one true God. I don't want you to miss out on who this God is. There's, a, there's an atheist comedian named Pendulette. We've mentioned this quote before. It's just really helpful to hear his perspective. He, he's talking about how Christians try to convert him sometimes and how much he appreciates it. Because he, he's like, if you believe in heaven and hell, I mean, 
Why aren't you trying to convert me? He says, how much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? That's evangelize. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And it's just, to hear an atheist say that, it's, I mean, it's, it's refreshing and it's so convicting. How much do you have to hate somebody? How much do you have to not love somebody to say, I, I don't want to make it weird? Like, I don't want to make our workplace weird. I don't want to, I don't make them uncomfortable. You know, faith is a personal matter. I don't, you know, I, I just, I, I don't really want to push it too far. If we love Christ and we trust his word, and if you love other people, your heart will say, absolutely, I want you to know Christ. And you will look for every opportunity that God presents for you to demonstrate the gospel, share the gospel, and help them believe. Now listen, we fail. All right? I look at this in my own selfishness, my own fears sometimes. I feel that. All right? Here's good news. Jesus' grace covers your lack of obedience to this great commission. He covers it. Our failures, our fears, it's been paid for at the cross. So know that. Yes, you fail in this area, but His grace covers it. And then once you realize that, in repentance, see that Jesus is holding the door open, and He's saying, get in. Join me in mission. You don't know what you're missing. It, there's, so, there's so much joy found in partnering with our God to see sinners taste and see that the Lord is good. There's a quote by a famous missionary, C.T. Stubb, he says, I cannot tell you what joy it gave me to bring the first soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have tasted almost all the pleasures that this world can give. I do not suppose that there is one I have not experienced, but I can tell you that those pleasures were as nothing compared to the joy that saving of that one soul gave me. No hobby, nothing in this world compares to the joy of joining our God in mission to see people believe in Jesus. It's beautiful and it is good. We get to join with our God in mission to seek and save the lost. There are times where there are times where my son wants to help around the house. We're doing yesterday he's helping me. And he's three. And he's not the most helpful at times. He's just little and he's, he doesn't have a lot of attention. But he loves it. Man, he gets really excited. And he'll go grab his toy tool kit. He's got a little plastic camera and plastic screwdriver. Every now and then He's nearby, and I'll actually give him something to do. Hey, can you hold this? And his face just lights up because he, he gets to help his dad out. And I, I just, I, I love that as a picture that we get to partner with our Father. That, that our God is inviting us into mission. Listen, let, let, hear this clearly. When someone is saved by the blood of Jesus, that is God at work. It is not us, right? God is the one that brings about redemption. He's the one that brings death, dead people to life in Christ. It's his work. But we get to be a part of that. We're invited into that. How joyful it is that we get to partner with our God. That he gets to use us to bring about his kingdom. There's a lot of joy filled in that. And I don't want us to miss out on bringing people to Jesus. The third aspect is to teach them. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you want to make disciples, and hear this, if you want to make disciples that last, you need to teach them. You need to help them know the Bible. You need to help them know God. That's why we say all the time, read your Bible. We're fighting against, there's a big swing on the pendulum to this, it's oversimplicity, just tell people to read their Bibles. Yes, it can be, but also read your Bibles. 
Like, absolutely know God through His Word. It will shape you and mold you into His image. Read your Bible. We, we absolutely want to know God by observing His teachings, by observing His commands. And this is why I love Matthew's gospel. He's just he's brilliant. Because what he does right here is honestly, he's also tagging back a lot of Jesus' former teachings, a lot of his former commands. Observe all that I've commanded. That goes back, I mean, just think about where we've been in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 4, he talked about making fishers of men. I, come, I will make you fishers of men. That's the kind of kingdom that he calls us into. In Matthew 5 through 7, we get to see this kingdom of a higher ethical teaching, a higher ethical living that ultimately we want to live out but have no shot of fulfilling ourselves, which is why Christ came to fulfill it himself. In Matthew 8 through 10, we got to see how our, our, our Lord is a missionary, that he cares, that he heals people, that he, that he mends the broken, and that he sends us out as missionaries to go and proclaim the good news of his kingdom, even amidst the persecution. In Matthew 11 through 12, we got to see a kingdom where the king offers true less against the backdrop of horrible bad religion. In Matthew 13 through 17, we got to see parable after parable, teaching after teaching that, that has so much wisdom that for thousands of years the church has come together to study and mine for its wisdom. In Matthew 18 through 20, we got to see the church and how he calls us to care for one another, to hold one another accountable, and how to pursue good together in Matthew 21 to 25 we get to see all these teachings where he's in, in the final week he's instructing us he's he's teaching the disciples he's giving some prophecy of what is to come he's showing down with the religious leaders again showing us how bad religion is not what we're called to and then in Matthew 26 to 28 the king goes to the cross and he conquers death of the resurrection and then he comes to this mountain in Galilee and he says observe all that I've taught you all of it and listen the good news is, is we don't just have the Gospel of Matthew. We've got the whole Bible. And the whole Bible is filled with teaching and filled with commands and filled with so much goodness that we get to search and discover. So absolutely, teach others to know God. To, not, not just to, to, to read the Word and to know facts. Not just to be hearers of the Word, but be doers also. We want to know the scriptures. So he walks through these three. Go, baptize, teaching. These are the three main aspects of what it looks like to make disciples. The whole universe is Christ. And he calls us to make disciples. To go out and get them. To lead them to faith. And to teach, him, teach them the message of Christ. Those are the marching orders. Out of all the marching orders, out of all the commands, in all of human history, there's none more important and none more profound. And it is given by our God. Now, it is also a command that, let's be honest, can be difficult. And at times can be scary and is so sure and guaranteed to bring us pain at times. From the foreign missionary on the mission field that faces intense persecution for sharing their faith, to the everyday missionary who is in her office and she's sharing the gospel and her coworkers are mocking her and making fun of her and her faith. It's hard. It, it invites pain and discomfort. When you obey this, it absolutely invites hardship. And that's why I love how Jesus ends all of it. He says, and behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. Our king promises, hear this, he promises to be with us all the way to the finish line, all the way to the end. If you obey the call to make disciples, it will take you to places you never expected. If you're obedient to the call of God, it may call you to do things you never thought you would do. And and you're going to face opposition. You're going to enter spiritual warfare. You might lose friends. It is difficult. But God is with us. He gets to be a comfort with us along the way, wherever He sends us. There are times where I'm downstairs with my kids and I have to tell them, hey, go upstairs, go, go grab that toy. Go, go grab something. And I tell them to go upstairs and I hear them kind of walk to the bottom of the stairs and then I don't hear the pitter-patter of feet going upstairs. And I look on the corner and I'm like, hey, what, what are y'all doing? And they're like, ah, we're, we're scared. It's dark. And I try to reason with them because reasoning with a three and five-year-old is usually effective. And they're just like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I'm like, okay. So I, I come up behind them and we walk up the stairs together and then we turn on the lights. And they're not scared anymore because their dad is with them. And there's nothing to be scared of when their dad is with them. And that's us, guys. God calls us to go into the darkness. He calls us to go and make disciples. He calls us to do some pretty extreme and radical things. But he's not going to abandon us. He's with us every step of the way. It is the sovereign king who declares mine over every inch of existence who's behind us and who's with us and is never going to let us go. If you surrendered your life to this calling, he'll be with you even in the midst of great loss. The famous missionary Hudson Taylor was married to his wife for 12 years and she died on the mission field. And I, I, I will celebrate my 10th anniversary next month. I cannot imagine losing my wife right now. And in the midst of all of it, he writes this letter. He says, at times, he, God, he allows me to realize all that I had in her, but have no longer. And then he who will soon come and wipe away every tear comes and takes all bitterness from my tears and fills my heart with deep, true, unutterable gladness. How, how good is that? In the midst of unbelievable loss, he feels the comfort of God. Our God does not abandon us in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the calling to make disciples. The reality is, is that many of you have entrusted your life to Jesus, and some of you are, are seeking to obey the Great Commission. And in your obedience of Jesus, you face some pain and hardship. Some of you all have lost friends, right? You, I felt this when I became a Christian. That Jesus started to change me. And all of a sudden, your friends are like, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore. And they just kind of abandon you. That hurts. You, you feel that. Some of you have, have multiplied community groups. We're going to get to celebrate that in a moment. They were multiplying a new group. And that's hard. To journey with someone for two or three years, and all of a sudden, we, we, the reason we multiply groups is we, we want to make room for mission. Our groups are how we, we make disciples and we want people to experience Jesus and, and groups, at, when they get big enough, it's time for them to multiply so that we can create more room for others to know Christ. But that's hard. When you've journeyed with someone for two or three years and, and you go and you multiply a new group, sure, you're going to see them on Sunday. The gathering of the saints right now, every Sunday is good. And you might hang out with them a little bit outside of the group. But be honest, the reality is, is you won't see them as much as you used to. You won't see him that one time a week that was guaranteed every week. 
You won't hear the words of comfort that you've got to hear on a regular basis. That's hard. That is loss. It is loss for the sake of gain. We experience all kinds of hurt on the mission. The Rockies, who right now, are, are you either listening to this right now, or I know you're going to listen to it later because you listen to all our sermons online. Gave, you gave up everything. You left everything behind. It wasn't just the stuff. It was, it, it was the people. It was your friends. It was your family. It was this church family. And that's hard when you give up that kind of loss. We experience loss in so many ways in the mission. Some of you, have, in, a, in obedience to the gospel, in obedience to the teachings of Christ, You've had to have really difficult conversations with other Christians. You've had to call them out in sin. And it has not gone well. And it's blown up in your face. That hurts. This can be incredibly difficult. There's a lot of risk in obeying the Great Commission. There's a lot of risk in following Jesus. I love this quote that comes out of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the second book of the Chronicles of Narnia, or whatever you people who nerd out about it might be the first book there's debate on that it's not important (laughs) just didn't want to speak untruthfully for the three of you that care about that there's a part where susan who's one of the main characters is about to meet aslan the lion and and she's nervous she starts talking to one of the other characters mr beaver and she's nervous when she finds out he's a lion mr beaver says aslan is a lion the lion the great lion oh said susan I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I love that. That's a picture of our God. That of course he isn't safe. You read, the, read the Gospels. Read what we've already walked through. You follow Jesus, persecution will come. Family might turn on you. You will face opposition. You will face the powers of evil. You absolutely will. There's no safety in following Jesus. That's not guaranteed at all. But he's good. He's the king. He's sovereign over every inch of existence. And he promises to be with you every step of the way. If you go where the Lord is calling you, if you're obedient and you go, I want you to know something. Some of you, that that, that might be across the world. And some of you, that might be more missional in your neighborhood and your workplace. But if you go, there are people, hear this, there are people right now that do not know Jesus, that currently walk, as the Bible says, as enemies of the cross of Christ. They don't know him. They are journeying towards hell. But if you go and you proclaim the gospel, some of them are going to believe. And some of them right now who are destined to destruction will have their eternity diverted. And a thousand years from now, when you're worshiping God and and we have perfect fellowship with one another, they're going to be in the kingdom with you. How good is that? That's worth the risk to hear the call and go. Some of you need to leverage your life to make disciples. There's so much joy in converting people to help them see that God is good. It's so joyful when you share the gospel and they realize, I don't have to earn God's favor. I I, I can trust in the finished work of Jesus. Yes, I want him. And then they enter the baptism waters with you. It's beautiful and it's good. Some of you need to teach. Some of you need to commit to, to discipling and teaching others the scriptures and giving your time and your energy and your wisdom and your experience. Some of you need to lead groups. 
Some of y'all, listen, if you obey the calling and you do this, you will lead groups. And in your groups, there's going to be some mess because we're all sinners and we bring our mess in it. And sometimes you're going to come across a marriage that is on the rocks. And because you committed to teach them and to show them the scriptures, you'll get to watch marriages be restored and reconciliation happen. You'll get to, to, to spend time with Christians who've been bitter towards family or friends or other Christians for years. And you get to open up the scriptures and watch their hearts be softened. And you'll see families be restored, friendships be restored. You'll see God go to work, but you've got to obey the command to do it. We've got to do it. We've got to obey the Great Commission if we want to see this happen. My hope is we hear these words. And we would participate in work that lasts and resounds for eternity. The sovereign king over all things, the resurrecting king that we just joyfully sing about, stands and says, all authority, it's all mine. Now go out and get them. Go out and make disciples. Teach them to observe my commands. And I will be with you every step of the way all the way to the finish. Let's receive that and let's do it. The band's going to come up and I want us to take a few moments and just pray as they get going. I want us to, to sit and be convicted. Remember, there's grace for our disobedience here. But Jesus is holding the door and He's saying, come on. Come on in. There are people that I've got for you. There are people that need to hear the gospel. And I want you to take a few moments and just pray before you respond and worship. I want you to pray that God would put people on your heart. I want you to think of people in your workplace. I want you to think of people in your neighborhood. I want you to think of the people that you interact with on a regular basis. They need to hear the gospel. Some of you need to go further. Some of y'all need to go. Maybe, it, maybe it's the, the church plant across this country. Maybe you need to go across the world. Maybe you need to join the Rockies in Honduras. I don't know what that is for you. But some of you need to hear the call and you need to go. And I promise you, if you respond to the call, whether it's to go across the street or it's to go across the world, you will experience more joy in the midst of suffering, more joy in the midst of making disciples than you have ever experienced. And you will be with God on mission to seek and save the lost. I want you to take a few moments. I want you to pray. I want you to let the Holy Spirit go to work in your heart. And I want you to respond in worship. Father, we love you and we're so thankful that we have this book we're so thankful that for 58 weeks we got to absolutely see this beautiful story on display that you came to save us that you didn't leave us in sin and in darkness but you came to declare light and then you make us children of light and that you commission us to go and make disciples. Lord, convict our hearts, convict our apathy, convict our fears, convict our disobedience. And then lead us, may your kindness lead us into repentance that we might respond to your calling because this commission is great. And your heart for the loss is greater. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.